And we've been talking about our politicians and my church, Longheath Church in Croydon, I'll be speaking a bit about next week, I think, at the Fellowship Tea at five o'clock. And um, the head of the network that my church is part of is a guy called Richard Cokin. And he, the, the network's called Commission. He's a very interesting man. It's uh, one of the things that he does, actually, is he does a... a regular, it might be weekly, Bible study with MPs in Westminster. So do pray for him because it's along the lines of what Peter was praying earlier about Christian MPs. They're not all Christians actually, some of them just come along. So Richard Cokin is very, um, he's an instrument greatly used by God and obviously he's under attack a lot of the time as well as a result of that. So he's a, he's a good man. I was reading his commentary on, on Ephesians and he had this illustration I thought I'd share with you um, to get us started. And it's, it's a bit grisly at first so just bear with it but it it goes from grisly to glorious okay so he says imagine you're a decaying corpse (laughs) Uh, you're spiritually dead and you're you're trussed up in chains inside a coffin where you were captive to the world the devil and the flesh you're heading heading inexorably towards the flames in the crematorium we're objects of God's wrath suddenly as your coffin is engulfed by flames someone leaps into the fire smashes open the coffin and despite the most horrific burns on him that scar him forever, retrieves your corpse, breathes life into your body, washes you and clothes you in his own clothes. Then he tenderly carries you to his chauffeur-driven Bentley and takes you home to his father's presidential palace to stay in his rooms and feast at his table, enjoying the abundant hospitality of his father forever. And that is, I thought, a very powerful picture of what Jesus has done for us. You know, kind of the, the coffin breaker, you know, Jesus has come in and the grave robber and he's smashed open the coffin and he's plucked us out of the flames and experienced that flames himself, the wrath of God on the cross. But that is what grace is, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense to be able to live in his house forever, as we sing in Psalm 23 and read in Psalm 23, you're dwelling in his house forever. And it's all entirely because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we've done. And last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and we had the title, Those Whom Sin Has Killed, Only God Can Bring Back to Life. And we had three points. One was that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, transgressions and sins. Two, you, we deserve wrath. But thirdly, God, but God made us alive. That really important three-letter word, but God made us alive together with Christ. And this week, we're looking a little bit more about what the implications of that are. And my title for you today is How and Why We Have Been Saved. How and Why We Have Been Saved. And I've got two thoughts under how and one under why. So how have we been saved? We've been saved firstly by being joined to Jesus, by being joined to Jesus. And secondly, we've been saved by God and not by ourselves. That's the two hows. And the why we've been saved, we've not been saved by good works, but we've been saved for good works. We've not been saved by good works, but we've been saved for good works. So I hope that you'll, you know, follow with me as we look at these verses and see what God has to speak to us this morning, each and every one of us, I hope. So firstly, how have you been saved? We've been saved by being joined to Jesus. And something that I think I don't hear enough about, actually, is this concept that's clearly here in, the, in Ephesians, but in the whole Bible really, union with Christ. Union with Christ, that, that we are in Christ. And it's easy to skip over that phrase, but it happens all the time. If you look at chapter 1, um, 
verse 1. It says to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. And you see, um, it says in verse 3, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that expression is used a lot in the Bible. And I think that we often miss it in our Christian religiosity, that that is actually the key to everything, is that we're found in Christ, that we're joined to Jesus. Because when we trust in Jesus, we, we become one with him. That's why we share in his body and blood when we have communion. We become union, we become unified with Jesus. And that means that we participate with him in his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his session, which means sitting down, at his return and his glory. So we basically are what my pastor Arnie called stapled to Jesus. <laughs> it's quite a powerful, I like that kind of idea. And that's what happens when you get baptised, you know, we become buried with him and raised with him. And Paul emphasises in chapter 2 of Ephesians, um, verse 6, three aspects of Christ's experience that, if you like, we also participate in. Firstly, his resurrection. So you see there in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ. If we believe in Christ, we're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, if Christ is risen from the grave, then we too will rise from the grave. And Jesus says that, doesn't he, to Mary and Martha. He says, I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. And that is amazing, isn't it? So that Christians can look at the grave without fear. Because Jesus has overcome the grave. If we're in Christ, we too will overcome the grave. We've been raised with Christ. And it's, it's so certain, it's as if it's already happened. You see that past tense again. God raised us up with Christ. It's almost as if you've already died and you've already entered into your resurrection body. It's so certain, it's as if it's happened. And then it, the idea of raised up can also kind of be pertaining to his ascension as well. That, that we too will meet him in the air. We will meet him in the air, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. So we're joined to Jesus in his resurrection as it were, in his ascension and in his session. It says in Hebrews, doesn't it? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And this verse is absolutely incredible, verse 6. We are seated with him, seated us with him in heavenly, in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Again, it's in the past tense. You might think, well, I'm not seated in heavenly realms. I'm seated on a plastic chair in Englefield Green. <laughs> but... This is, this is a, a statement of our positional reality. It might not be our everyday experience, because we still live with our feet on the earth, if you like. But where, the way God sees us and the way we truly are and the way we eternally are is seated in heavenly places with Christ. Jesus has done all the hard work, but we receive the benefits and the honour of being seated with him at God's table. And, and it's so certain, because what Jesus has done is so certain, it's as if it has already taken place. And in one sense, in God's mind, we are already there, seated with Christ. Verse 6, God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. This is really amazing. And this is not how we view ourselves, but this is how we should view ourselves. That is a definitive statement about our identity and our position. Just to give you an illustration, Gordon Ramsay, <coughs> the angriest chef in television... Um, if you don't like swearing, it's not good to watch him. But his restaurant in Chelsea this year, after 20 years, got the third Michelin star. So he ought to be a little bit less angry now. It costs £185 per person if you want the seasonal inspiration menu. 
Uh, <laughs> it's not the wallet inspirational menu, but if, if you're in Chelsea and it's raining, imagine you're there and you're very hungry, you haven't booked a table, and you look in your, in your wallet and you can't even afford £18.50, let alone £185. And so you're standing outside and you're cold and wet and the security guard looks at you with disgust and menace. But suddenly out comes Gordon Ramsay, you know, coming out like this, looking angry like he always does. And he takes one look at you. Instead of swearing at you and saying, be gone, he puts his arm around you and says, come on into my restaurant. Sit at the best table. Don't worry about paying for it. It's on me. You can order whatever you like because what's mine is yours. And that's what it means to be in Christ. You know, what is mine is yours, Jesus is saying. What I have done, what I have achieved, I give to you. We are heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. When we deserve God's wrath, we deserve to be outside in the dark and the rain, but we receive God's favour inside with the sun, in the warmth and the light and the fellowship of all the best that God has to offer. This is so wonderful. We should be so happy about this. Whatever our aches and pains and difficulties in this life, and we do have difficulties, that is our true destiny and that is our true identity, that we are joined with Jesus and we receive his benefits. Now, why did God do this? Verse 7 in order that in the coming ages he might, show, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is invisible, isn't he? And sometimes we feel frustrated, we kind of want to see him. And yet there's something about God that he loves to reveal, not his form, but his character. He loves to show his faithfulness to Abraham. He loves to show his patience with the children of Israel. He shows his forgiveness to David. He shows his justice and love to all of us at the cross. And he shows his incomparable riches of his grace, his undeserved kindness to us, his sinful human creatures. God loves to show his grace. If you like, he, he is just, he, he does express his wrath, but he loves to show his grace. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When will he show us these things? Well, he's shown us it already in the cross, but he also wants to show us even more Verse 7, in the coming ages, we see a glimpse of his grace now as we meditate upon Christ and him crucified. But in the coming ages, we shall see him face to face and we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we've been joined to Jesus to experience God's grace, to enjoy heaven. And J.C. Ryle, that great um, Bishop of Liverpool, he said this, Let us not be afraid to meditate upon the subject of heaven often. Jordan is a cold river to cross at best. He's talking about dying. And not a few tremble when they think of their own crossing. But let us take comfort in the remembrance of the other side. Think, Christian believer, of beholding your king in his beauty. Faith will at last be swallowed up in sight and hope in certainty. You are not going to a foreign country. Well, some of you are going to a foreign country, but <laughs> you're not ultimately going to a foreign country. You're going home. You're going home. You will find Christian friends all safe, all well, all ready to greet you, all prepared to join in one unbroken song of praise. Then let us take comfort and persevere. With such prospects before us, we may well cry, it is worthwhile being a Christian. Amen. So how have we been saved? Firstly, by being joined to Jesus. Everything that happened to him, if you like, will happen to us. We've been seated in heavenly places with him. Marvellous, marvellous. Imagine living under the light of that truth this week. 
Secondly, how have we been saved again? Not by God, not by ourselves. And we're looking now at verse 8 and 9. How have we been saved? By God and not ourselves. You've been saved, rescued from the penalty, power and presence of sin, the world, the devil, the flesh, the wrath of God, and second death in hell. And we've been saved by grace, God's kindness to us, undeserved kindness. It's very easy to think if you've been a Christian for a little while that somehow you've merited this position, but you haven't, have you? And we use that expression there, but for the grace of God go I. And do we really believe that? As we see people, in, you know, you see some guy on a bench and he's all passed out and you think, hmm. And there's that moment when you think, well, I, I'm not like that. And you think, yeah, but that's because we've forgotten grace, isn't it? We're saved by God's undeserved kindness. Don't deserve it. We never will deserve it. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. You see that in verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not everyone is saved. Not everyone is saved. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many that be on it. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few that find it. Not all men have faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So you have to put your trust in Jesus Christ. It's not automatic. Last week I said um, that Heinrich Heine, the German poet, said God will forgive me, that's his job. God will forgive those who repent. Um, He is uh, a gracious God, but he's also a God of justice who will punish the impenitent. Only those who put their confidence in the promises of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ will be saved through faith. Now, we're saved by God. We're not saved by ourselves. Very, very important, this. It's very easy for us to get a bit big for our boots to start to kind of polish our halo or rest on our laurels. And we should, never, we should never move away from this position. You've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, still the same. It's a level, level playing ground at the foot of the cross. You cannot climb up a ladder into heaven. You can't pull yourself out of a bog by your own bootstraps. You cannot save yourself. We're not saved by our works. You can't erase the sins of the past by doing good deeds in the future and the present. You can't hope to balance the scales. You can't attend Bishopsgate Church and imagine there's an angel with a register up there thinking, well, they've put in their hours, you know, they've sat through countless rather tedious sermons. You know, they've done that a thousand times, that'll qualify. It doesn't qualify you, does it? Your religious activity is not qualify you. It doesn't matter one iota in the end if you're an elder or a pastor of a church or you did all the church lunches or anything like that because those are your works and they don't save you. You can't earn a ticket to heaven or a get out of hell free card. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us and we put our trust in him. Um, I know I mentioned him last week so you have to forgive me for doing it again but Jurgen Klopp the manager of uh, Liverpool FC, he's a, fa- he's a funny guy, German guy. Um, he likes to use, he's say, for sure, in this moment. <laughs> and somebody said to him, why is Jesus Christ the most important person for you? Do you remember last week I was saying Klopp said that football is not the most important thing in the world, which is quite a radical thing for a manager to say. And if Klopp says, for me, it's easy to answer. Jesus took all our sins on his head and let them nail him to the cross. It's the greatest act that was ever accomplished, and there's no way we could ever do it. And we don't need to, because we have someone who did it for us. And that's a huge, huge comfort. Isn't that amazing that this man, right at the top of his profession, well, near the top of his profession, should should say that about Jesus, that, that we don't need to do that, because he's done it for us. We're saved by grace, 
not by our works. And even if you win, finally you win the Premiership or the FA Cup or something, it's not going to get you into heaven. And he knows that. Praise God. God bless that man. So if, we haven't, if we've been saved by being joined to Jesus and we've been saved by God and not ourselves, why have we been saved? What's the purpose? What do we do now? Do we sit around and wait for heaven? You know, that old, what's that old comedy, isn't it? Waiting for God. People in old folks and sort of thing. Just waiting to die. Now, that's not right, is it? We're not just waiting to die. That's cheap grace. So verse 10 has it for us as to why we've been saved. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sometimes you might meet a Muslim, and they, often Muslims say, well, if you've been saved by Christ, by God, and you don't have to do anything, you can just go around and rob banks and stuff, and like, hit people over the head, and laugh in their face, and steal candy from babies and things, you know. Because they don't understand that grace that saves you is also the grace that transforms you. So even though we are saved by grace, it has a consequence in how we live. So we're not saved by good works. We can't boast in them. See that in verse 9. Now here's a question for you. Is it wrong to boast? Well, we're all good British people, so we say, of course it is. We let the Americans do the boasting. You know, we're very humble, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, most of the time it's wrong to boast. And and, and Paul talks about in Philippians 3, he says, I count it rubbish. He gets his CV, and it's a massive long CV, like one of these European election... I I did my postal vote this week. (laughs) It's about this long, you know, all these different candidates. And Paul's CV was like that. And he rips it up and he says, it's, I count it rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He says, I'm not going to boast in, it, in the fact that I was a Pharisee. I was top of my class and I got all the certificates and medals. And what he says in Galatians 6 is, may I never boast, but he does find one thing to boast in, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we sang that in the song, didn't we? You know, all the vain things that Charming Moses says, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them. And the dearest idol I have known, help me to cast it from your throne and worship only you. So boasting in works is ugly, isn't it? And someone's so full of themselves, it's ugly. And even people in the world can see that. But boasting in Christ is beautiful. Boasting in Christ is beautiful. We are not self-made men. We are God-made men. We are God's poem. That word in verse 10, God's workmanship, in the Greek, is poema, which is where we get the word poem. We're God's poem. God is, I don't know if you know that, you might not be a very creative literary person, but you are a poem. If you're in Christ, God is writing the story of your life, and it is a beautiful poem. It might feel like a train wreck, (laughs) but it is a poem in God's hand. God's pen is writing the chapters of your life and he hasn't forgotten about you if you're going through difficult times. And Job will help you with that. He's writing the story of our lives. And what he's doing is he's writing the good works in place, pre-arranging them for us to walk into them. And this is a really important thing. Why have we been saved? We've been saved not by good works, but for good works. Verse 10, again, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I find that so exciting. Because it means that Monday morning or even Sunday afternoon, I can pray to God and I say, God, I'm saved by grace. I'm joined to Jesus. I'm saved by you, not by my works. I know that. Doesn't, you know, I can't pat myself on the head and say, oh, you preached a good sermon this morning. It's got nothing to do with anything, even if I did. But what good works have you prepared for me to do today, God? 
I know you're writing the poem of my life, and I know that you've planned out and you've mapped out some good works for me to do today. What are they? I know they won't earn my place in heaven, but they will show appreciation for what you've done for me. Let's give you an illustration of that. I've got a friend called Nicola, who's a woman's worker, and she has to do quite a lot of driving. And she came to see me one day, and she had a really nice car. You know, I was like, oh, that's a nice car. And she said, oh, don't judge me for it. You know, because you know, sometimes you feel a bit, oh, that's a nice car, you know, as if somebody might say, you know, you should have bought a battered old Trabant or something and given the money to Oxfam. But she, she said, you know, my dad bought me the car because I do a lot of driving. And um, I'm so grateful for my dad because he gave me this car and I couldn't afford it. Imagine that she tried to pay her dad back one pound a month. You know, how would he feel about that? He'd be insulted, wouldn't he? And that's what we often do with God. We, you know, we say, God, I'm going I'm to pay you back for this salvation. We can't pay him back. It's ridiculous. We can't pay him back. But what we can do is use the gifts that he's given us for his good works, for his glory. And that's what Nicola does. She uses this beautiful, fancy car with all kinds of bells and whistles. And she drives that car from place to place, serving other people. And that, is, that pleases her father, because that's why he bought her the car. And that's what our salvation is. A salvation is a vehicle, it's a gift for us to do good works to glorify our Father, not something we could earn, and we can never pay it back one pound at a time. So we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. Let me just finish by asking you some application questions. Do you think, first of all, that you need to be saved? I'm actually amazed, I've talked to many people in churches over the years, elderly people, and a, a large percentage of people that I've spoken to say this to me. Well, I hope that I've been a good enough person that I'll take my chances on Judgment Day. And I've been attending church for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Please don't think that way. It is by grace we've been saved, through faith, not by works. We all need to be saved. You can't take your chances on Judgment Day. If you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all. If you know that you need to be saved, how can you be saved? Please don't be thinking that you can try to be a religious person and that will cut it with God. You need to be joined with Jesus. His life, death and resurrection. You need to say to God, please save me by your grace through faith. Now, if you have been saved, Christian, why have you been saved? Not by your good works, but for your good works. So let's all be thinking this week, Lord, what is it? That you, you're writing the poem of my life. What is it you've prepared in advance for me to walk in? What are the people that you would like me to bless this week? Have I got a vulnerable neighbour that needs assistance practically? Have I got a lonely friend who perhaps their spouse has died or they're divorced or something like that or their, their children have all grown up and moved away? Could I send them a message of encouragement? Go and visit them. What, Lord, what are the people and the, that you've put in my life for me to do good works to bless? Not because I'm earning my brownie points or my Cub Scout badges, but because I want to show appreciation for what you've done for me. What are the tasks that you are asking me to do this week, Lord? Do you want me to cook a meal? <laughs> do you want me to wash my clothes? Do you want me to do practical things to your glory? You know, Martin Luther said that you could put nappies out on a washing line to the glory of God. And he was a monk, originally, before he got married. He called his wife Lord Rib, which is quite funny. 
is a bit strange. But it, what was great about Luther is he understood that, that the whole of your life was about doing actions that glorify God, but not to earn your salvation. We thank God for his uh, illumination. What about saying, I realise that there are people in this world that are more needy than I am, like the Christians in Sri Lanka that have been blown up, and the Indians who've been affected by these typhoons, what can I do to put my hand in my pocket and do good works? You know, Christians get accused of being do-gooders. Well, good, we should be doing good. We don't do enough good, let's do more good works. Remembering that we've been saved for them, not by them. What about your prayers? You say, Lord, you've saved me by your grace, I'm joined to Jesus, now how do you want me to pray? Not just going to pray that I have a happy day and that I don't have any too many health problems, but let me pray for Enfield Green. Because there's many people here that are passing into darkness, aren't there? People living on the estate, there's elderly people at Schroeder Court and they don't have a first idea and they're, they're not long for this world. Please, Lord, rescue some of them and use me and use Ron Russell as he goes up there and he does his talks. Bless Ron. Help him to speak with power and eloquence and engagement to some of these elderly people so that in the last, in the 11th hour, they come to Jesus. Well, my friend, I think both his parents became Christians in their 70s and 80s. It's never too late, is it? As long as there's life, there's hope. You say, oh, no, you, no you're never going to get that person there. They're too stuck in their ways. No, 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 because grace is so powerful. It can break open the hardest rock. How are we going to find these good works that God has prepared for us to walk in this week? Who are you going to bless? What task will you accomplish? What prayers will you offer up? How has God saved us? He's been saved us by being staple to Jesus, by grace, through, work, through faith, not by works. Why has God saved us to be his poem for good works that he's prepared for us in advance? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of grace. It's such a relief because... We know that even our, our best works are like filthy rags, really, Lord. We know that we could never climb up a ladder into heaven. It would be like making a rope out of sand and trying to reach the moon. Father, we thank you that Jesus came down to us. Jesus lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross voluntarily and willingly out of love and compassion. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, as Jurgen Klopp understands it. And we just pray that we will receive this gift and we won't try to pay you back a pound at a time. But Lord, just out of sheer gratitude, we will go out there this afternoon or even after the end of this service as we're having tea and coffee with each other and think in our minds, what good works have you prepared for me to do this week? Who can I bless? What can I do? Practical things, everyday tasks to your glory. What can I be praying Father, change us. We, we want to be people that have been totally transformed by grace. When people look at us, they say, I can't put my finger on it, but they're different. And we say, you know what it is? I know the Lord Jesus and I'm joined to him. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today and anyone who doesn't know you, that this message of amazing grace will be stamped upon our hearts today. In your holy name, amen. amen.